of what we've been teaching this month on when shall these things be. We've all heard so many times that the church is the bride of Christ. And so we want to do a, a deeper dive tonight into what that means and have a little bit of um, study from uh, example out of scripture on a Jewish wedding and some of the things that uh, went on with that. Amen. So our scripture focus tonight is from Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Amen. His wife has made herself ready. Uh, you know, a marriage is supposed to be a joyful occasion, right? It's supposed to be a celebration, and uh, we're supposed to go to a, a, a wedding ceremony happy, especially if you're the bride and the groom. That's your special day. It's the day when the, the woman gets to be the queen for a little bit for one day, and the man gets to be the king. And the greatest wedding is yet to come, because the Bible has told us that we're going to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So we're going to go over some things about a wedding, um, specifically how the Jewish weddings back in that day uh, were, were put together. Number one, the wedding was arranged. Now, today we would kind of go, ooh, I don't think I want an arranged uh, wedding. And I remember talking to someone from one of these countries where they do arranged weddings. And at first, I thought, boy, this is terrible. You mean, you mean uh, they, they, they arranged the wedding for you? And he said, yes, my, my, the families got together and uh, they, they discussed it. And uh, I went to meet her. But you know, there are some benefits to that. That takes out a lot of stress. And because the families are already um, on the same level, they've got, they come from the same background, they all have the same intent, um, it, it usually works out. In some of these countries where they have arranged weddings, the divorce rate is extremely low. You know the reason why? People go in knowing they have to make it work. There isn't, there isn't a, a, a back out, a plan B. In many countries, a lot of people go into a living arrangements with the thought, well, if it don't work out. They already are, are, are looking for, for a, a plan B for escape. And we see in the Bible, in Bible times, the weddings were arranged. And it's different, as I said before. The, the wedding is not a contract, although we talk about a marriage contract. It's a covenant which is slightly different. In a contract, if someone breaks the contract, if one person breaks the contract, the contract is null and void. But in a covenant, that's not the case. See, we talk about the 50 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And that was not a contract. It was more like a covenant. Because suppose the next day one of the 50 said, you know what, I'm sorry I signed that thing. Do you think that would have made it null and void? No. No, it doesn't work that way. So a covenant does not depend on just one person backing out. And that's good because God is going to keep his part of the deal. God is going to keep his, his part of the deal. The other thing about a wedding in those days is that it was totally provided for. The, 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 the groom had to make sure everything was ready. He had already provided a house, right? Right? 
He, he couldn't actually consummate the deal until he had uh, provided a house. And I remember when I was going to get married, and I was here and my wife was in, uh, still in England, and I was going to go through the wedding and everything. My, my mother said to me, you can't do that. You don't have anywhere for her to live. <laughs> so she made me think about that, and I somehow, with the Lord's help, was able to, to buy a house. So at least I fulfilled that part of a Jewish covenant. Amen. So that when she came, we already had a house. Thank you, Jesus. Um, everything has been provided. The other thing, though, there is something for the bride to do. And we already read it in Revelation 19 there. What was it the bride was supposed to do? Let's go back. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. She had to get dressed, right? The groom is not supposed to be helping uh, the, the, the bride get dressed. In fact, it's almost a no-no to see the, the, the bride before the, the wedding, right? The bride must get herself dressed. It is our obligation, if everything is provided, to put on the wedding garment, right? In fact, in the parable that Jesus taught, uh, the, the guy got thrown out because... He didn't have the wedding garment, even though it was provided free of charge. There was no excuse not to be dressed properly. Amen. So let us start in Matthew 22, verse 2. It says, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was always giving parables to explain something of a heavenly nature that we could understand. Remember what I taught some time ago about a common experience? When you don't have a common experience, you have to use an analogy, something like it to bring over some part of it. So Jesus did that a lot in his parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he likened the, 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 the bridegroom marrying the bride, which is the church, as to a king making a marriage for his son. And in Revelation 19.9 um, it says, And he saith unto me, Right blessed, are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, that's one of the questions on that sheet. Now, when you have a marriage, is it just the bride and the groom that show up? Wouldn't be much of a marriage if it was just the bride and the groom, right? So who else comes to the wedding? The guests. The guests. It would be a very poor marriage a ceremony if it was just the bride and the groom. There are guests at the wedding. Amen. So in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Jewish wedding followed a certain plan. First of all, it lasted seven days. Seven days. Uh, today we, we probably could not afford that kind of uh, thing of a seven-day wedding. And there are three uh, words that, that kind of... Um, uh, go along with this wedding. I call them the three C's. And the first thing I told you was that the marriage, what we would call a contract covenant, in the Hebrew is called a ketubah. Ketubah. So the groom, the way it would work is the groom would choose a bride and negotiates a bride price. If the father of the bride agree, then they would sign a covenant, a, doc, a document called a ketubah. Right? And it would be the document that would that would put the marriage uh, into into um, 
into being, so to speak. It would start the process. And once that was signed, they were as good as married. Once both parties had agreed to a bride price and had signed the ketubah, even though they had not consummated the marriage as far as the law, the Jewish law, then they were looked upon as being married. Now, when the marriage ceremony came to be, the first thing that would happen, they would, they would go into this little room called a chupa or hoopa, which was the place where the marriage was consummated. And I think it would have been a, a something of an acquired taste uh, today because uh, they would go into that by themselves to consummate the, the marriage, to be intimate in other words. And the marriage supper was after that. Today, we do it the reverse. We have the wedding vows, then we go to the reception, then they go on the honeymoon. But in those days, the marriage supper uh, came after the consummation. And that's important to remember when it comes to the, the, the fulfillment of prophecy. So after payment of the bride price and a time to prepare of a new living place, uh, the groom would come back once he had built this extra room or built this place on father's house to come and to consummate their marriage. And he comes and he takes the bride away. Jesus told us that in, in John 14. He said, I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. Amen. And then after the consummation, it was after the consummation that they would have the celebration. We do it differently. As I said, we, we have the wedding vows. Then we have the, the feast. And then they go off on a, on a honeymoon. So the wedding feast is held, though, at the groom's house. And it's interesting and um, gives us some idea of how God is going to do this when it comes to the end time. So let's look a little bit deeper into this covenant thing. So marriage to the Jews of Jesus' day was a legal matter established by, they would call it a contract, but it was a covenant carried out through an exacting procedure. The young man would come to the chosen girl's house with a covenant, which was a legal agreement, giving the terms by which he would propose marriage. Um, when we had the missionary here uh, from Jordan, uh, when we took her out, I was asking her, because she's a single woman in an Arab country, right? And I was asking her if anyone had come and um, uh, offered her any sheep and goats. <laughs> And she, she started telling me, what you have to do is be very clear, you know, no. You have to really be very firm. She said that they, they would follow her, and, um, but they don't like being embarrassed. So she would have to say very publicly and very loudly, nope, then they would, they would quit. So, but in those countries where uh, a dowry is paid, this is the kind of procedure. So the most important being that the price he was willing to pay for the bride. It was not a free thing because the family was giving up their daughter. And so there was a bride price to be paid. So the bride would choose her husband and her father would sign a legal covenant with him, as I said, called a, a ketubah. Once this is signed, then the couple is 100% married, even if they haven't been intimate as far as the law was concerned of that day. Um, and it, this could be done with very young children. This could be done when they were, you know, 10, 11, 12, and it may be still some years before they would actually uh, be old enough to consummate 
the, the marriage. So they'd have to get to a certain age. But the families would already agree and sign a, a ketubah, a covenant, long before this happened. So we see all through scripture, God is giving us these hints that the church is the bride to come, the bride that is, that is prophesied. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. And of course, all through Songs of Solomon, it's speaking in terms of a woman and her, her lover, her, her bridegroom. Isaiah 62 verse 11, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Now that's interesting. Anything jump out to you about that? Behold, say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. That's right, because salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. Behold, thy Yeshua cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. All through the Old Testament, the prophecy was that there would be a bride. Amen. So again, in, in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh. He is just and having salvation. Yeshua, lowly and riding upon an ass. Upon the colt, the foal of an ass. This is a prophecy which Jesus then fulfilled himself. Isn't that something? Hosea 2.19, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. Amen. Now we have many examples in the Old Testament of this happening, of this process. And we're going to start with the first example, which is Abraham. His son Isaac had grown to a certain age, and he didn't want his son to marry any of the Canaanites in which the land they were living. So he sent his servant, who we're not given the name of in this story, right here. We're not given his name. He sent his servant to go and get the bride. Let's read the story. Genesis 24, 3. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So his servant, the head of his household, goes with some gifts to go and get a bride. Genesis 15, two, God was, uh, Abraham was complaining to God. He says here, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Now this is where you find out the name of the servant. Not in verse 24, but in verse, in chapter 15, sorry, is where you get the name of the servant. But in, in Genesis 24, where he's telling, he's sending the servant, we never know his name. And that's deliberately so, because he is a type, this servant, of the Holy Ghost. Because we find his name is Eleazar in Genesis 15:2, And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar? Well, Eleazar means helper or comforter. So Abram, the father, sends the comforter to go and get his bride. You get it? Isn't that awesome? Maybe I'm the only one amazed at, at how God plans this out. Exodus 18.4 tells us again what his name is. And the name of the other was Eleazar. For the God of my father said he was mine help. 
That's what his name means, mine help or comforter. And no wonder Abraham's name means uh, father or exalted father or father of many nations. So the father in this typology sent Eleazar, the helper or the comforter, to go and get his bride. And it was an arranged marriage. Let's read the story. Genesis 24, 13. So he travels back to the land where Laban and Rebekah is. And as I told you, there's about five places where all, where all the meetings in the Bible end up. And one of them is a well. It's good that this church is named after a well because in Scripture, there's always a place where God meets people. Eleazar meets Rebecca first time by the well. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I will say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink. And also let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Now this may not seem like much of a test, but it was a huge test. He had 10 camels. The camels drank about 30 gallons. For this lady to volunteer to not only give him some water, but then to water the whole camels was, was a real test. Not a normal woman would have done that. She'd have said, what? I don't know you. Who are you? Where do you come from? Why should I do this? It wasn't going to take her a minute or two. This was not a, an easy task. It was a real test to see her spirit, whether she was, first of all, someone who was hospi hospitable. Hospitable? Hospitable. I'm getting old and I, my words falling, falling out the wrong way. Hospitable, that she was a humble person because she was willing to water camels. This was the test that he asked uh, this lady to pass, and it came to pass before he had done speaking, and behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. She must have had to do this a lot of times. A lot of times, because he had a lot of camels. They had been on a long journey, and that's a lot of gallons to do. But she did it. She did it. And this was a, a real test of hospitality, uh, because probably not too many women would have done it. They may have been willing to give him a drink, but your camels? Go on, old man, you do this yourself. But she was willing to do this, and because of that, uh, she was chosen. So we see in this story how the helper chooses the bride. Abraham did not even choose. He just sent him and gave him the task to choose the bride. The Holy Spirit is the one that chooses us, isn't it? And Abraham was old and well stricken in the age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. You understand that when we let the Holy Spirit lead us, it will lead us the right way. In John 16, 13, Jesus, speaking about the helper, the comforter, says this, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The trouble with us, we're not listening. 
we, we are so determined to make our own choices most of the time, you know. We don't really consult. We don't do like David, which inquired of the Lord. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Amen. So we see in this little story how uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, modeled in the form of Eleazar, went to get the bride, sent from the Father. And then we, we have the next story with Jacob. And this is the interesting one because this is the one that kind of portends end times that we're living in. And here we see the, the bride price because in his case, he had to work a certain amount of years to qualify to earn the bride. Genesis twenty nine eighteen, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years. It's an interesting number. Remember that. For Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I should give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had. Now that's an interesting uh, story because you know what happened where Laban tricked him. And they, he ended up marrying both sisters. And the Bible, as I've said so many times, never just throws things in there to, for no reason. And we're going to look at the fact that he married both the sisters. The other thing I said, the fourth thing I said about the bride, that she needed to get herself ready, right? We, we saw in some of these stories the, the covenant. We saw now that there was a, a price to be paid. He, he uh, pledged to work for seven years for his wife. And then in Isaiah, it speaks about the bride getting ready. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So even the Old Testament was predicting that it wouldn't be earthly garments we needed to be covered with, but we are to be covered with spiritual garments. Amen. Now, what about the getting ready? In Luke 12, 34... Jesus said, be ready for the Lord's coming. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn in the second or third watch. But whenever he comes, he will re reward the servants who are what? Ready, ready. Okay, I know I'm going through this very fast, but we're going to come to a, a slowdown in a minute. We're going to go into some deep stuff here in a little bit. Romans 13, 11. And knowing the time, that now it is high time to do what? Awake. Awake, out of sleep. For now is our salvation, our Yeshua, nearer than when we first believed, so to speak. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on now 
Here's something, an armor of light. That's different. An armor of light. The armor of light is the glory of God. Amen. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness, nor not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no, not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And in Revelation 19, it speaks about the bride being clothed again. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Amen. Amen. All right, so now we know that the church is the bride of Christ and we get clothed through his, his, his death on Calvary. We can now put on some garments of righteousness. And let's look at now the wedding because Jesus told a lot of parables about that and we're going to uh, jump now to the whole purpose of the wedding which is when we go there, it's going to be through the agency of the rapture, right? Amen. Normally, when you're going to a wedding and you're the bride and groom, they send the limo. The limo comes to pick you up. But our limo is going to be the twinkling of an eye, the sound of a trumpet. Amen. Amen. That's our limo. Amen. And now, the purpose of the rapture, as I've said before, is because God's judgment is going to be on this planet. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God hath what? Not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're not destined for wrath, but we must consummate the marriage. That means enter the hoopah, as they call it. Now, the hoopah is, is in heaven. Amen. And it's only the bride and the groom they get to go into the hoopah. The guests stay outside, right? That's how it's done. The guests don't get into going into that room. They don't get, you know, you don't have a bunch of people going into your bedroom, do you? I hope not. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. <laughs> so it's only the church that gets to go and consummate in the symbol, in the symbolic uh, portrayal of this in heaven. Let's read what's going to happen on this earth. As I said on Sunday, this place is going to become uh, not a nice place. Isaiah 24, 21. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And they shall be shut up in the prison and after many days they shall be visited. This is the second reason for the rapture. The first reason, we're going to be the bride of Christ. We are going to consummate the wedding. But the second reason is to get us out of Dodge. So that we're not here when the judgment falls on this earth. Isaiah 13.9 prophesies that. Behold the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, bold, with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners... You know, some people think, well, God is just love. Well, there's coming a day when, because of rejection, it says here, he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil. 
wrath of God is being slowly stored up. As I said before, when I think about, if I try and put myself in God's place and just look at what people have done and the wickedness and the evil and the mess, it's a good thing I'm not God because I probably couldn't wait. I'd be going, you're gone. Ashes for you. You know, if I had supernatural God-like powers, there'd be a lot of, lot less people on the planet. But on the other hand, I might be one of them. So God's mercy and grace is extended during this period. But there's coming a day when the Bible says, let he that is righteous be righteous, still let he that is unrighteous, let him be the same. There's coming a day, there is a date certain when God's grace and mercy ends, when this gospel has been preached, when people who have had the opportunity to choose have chosen and have either accepted or rejected him. And then these scriptures are going to be fulfilled. Isaiah thirteen eleven, And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make man more precious than fine gold. The Bible predicts in Revelation that two-thirds of the world's population is going to be dead in that seven-year period. Right? The world's population is somewhere between 7 billion and 8 billion people. The Bible clearly predicts in Revelation that two-thirds, that's 4 or 5 billion people, will not make it through that seven-year period. For I will make man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of... He's saying that people are going to be so scarce when this is all over. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Judgment is coming on this planet. Judgment is coming on this planet. But, you know, if you're in the bride, you get to go out of here. Amen. You get to leave this place. You get to leave this place. Now, one of the things about this that I showed on Sunday was Revelation 12, verse 7, where it says, Now has come salvation. Right? And I said that that's the key scripture that tells you when the rapture is. Now has come salvation. Amen? And the kingdom and the power of our Christ. Well, a lot of people say, well, you know, if that's the case, though, it doesn't follow what we see for a Jewish wedding because a Jewish wedding is normally what? Seven days, right? Seven years, let's say. But if the rapture is in the middle, then it's not seven years. So let's, let's look at that. We're going to go over in detail now the steps in a Jewish wedding. The Jewish wedding feast was for seven days. If the rapture is only in the midst, then the bride is only being with Jesus three and a half years by what I've been teaching. So let's explain that. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Remember what I said, the first thing was they had to agree on a marriage price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I've put all the scripture references to do with that. I've only chosen one. The next thing is the bridal chamber is prepared. 
The son returns to his father's house and prepares the bridal chamber. And that, of course, I quoted already. It's in John 14, 3. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may be also. Then the next step is that the bride is carried away. At a determined time by the father, and I put in Matthew 24, 36, the groom fetches the bride to her, to his father's house. Although the bride was expecting her groom to come for her, she did not know the time of his coming. As a result, the groom's arrival was preceded by a shout, which forewarned the bride to be prepared at his coming. Of course, that's Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ. You know why I keep telling you all these scriptures? There may come a day when you don't have the Bible with you. You're going to have to have the words in your heart. You're going to have to be able to say, it is written. There may come a day where they take the Bible away from you. They may ban it uh, out of your phones even. Because it may be deemed as hate speech. Right? I mean, that has happened before. In China, the Bibles are illegal. Unless you belong to one of the um, approved uh, religious organizations. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so the next step, the bride before the, the wedding is cleansed. The bride undergoes ritual cleansing prior to the wedding ceremony. The wedding, the actual uh, um, consummation is private. Not everybody gets to go in the little room, right? Uh, the privacy of the bridal chamber and the bride and groom consummate the marriage. Only the church will be in the rapture. And then after they come out, after they return, is when the marriage feast happens. That's when the marriage feast has happened to which many are invited. Okay, now we're going to go back to Jacob and his wedding because there's a lot more to be dug out of this. And I'm going to try and go real slow now so that I don't, I don't uh, lose, get anyone flushed. And Jacob, Genesis 29, 20, served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days. Remember now in the prophecy from Daniel, there was a seven-year period that was still yet to be fulfilled. Remember that. So he served for seven years to get his bride, Rachel. And Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled. You know, he called her wife, even though the marriage ceremony hadn't. You know why? The contract had already been signed. So he could call her wife, even though there had been no relations. Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Now, what I'm trying to tell you is that this symbol of the two wives represent two groups of people. Israel and the church. Israel and the church. I'm going to show you how this works out. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Israel was the firstborn. Fulfill her week. He means 
fulfill the whole seven days of the marriage ceremony. You've only done one day. Fulfill the seven days, and I'll tell you what I'll do. If you will work seven more years, I will give you Rachel at the end of the seven days. I hope you're following me. So he didn't have to wait another seven years, but he did have to work another seven years. All he had to do was fulfill the seven days, and, he, and then he said, Laban said, I will give you, uh, Rachel, after you've done the full marriage ceremony for Leah. And that's what Christ did. He did the full, remember he said, I've only been sent to the household of who? Israel. He wouldn't let any of the disciples go into any Samaritan place. Don't go into Samaritan place. Don't go into the Gentiles. Because he had to fulfill the deal to Israel. First, fulfill her week and we will give thee also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Now you may say, Well, that still don't work out because he was only with Israel three and a half years. So how is this all going to work out? Let's have a look. So I'm going to put the timeline up there. So he marries the firstborn Leah, which represents Israel. And then he also marries Rachel, which represents the church. So he got to get Rachel after the seven-day feast with Leah. Now, how does that work? The Bible tells us, then they all go, they are going back now to the promised land. What does he do? He divides the two camps up. He divides the two camps. He sends Leah, representing Israel, ahead first. And you can see how the church and Israel are going to be split up because during the tribulation, Israel does not go up in the rapture. The two groups are split up. You following me? And the messengers returned to Jacob and saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people, divided the two camps of the women, and the flocks and herds and camels into two bands. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came with him, four hundred men, and divided the children of Leah. And so he sent Leah on first. Jesus was with Israel first. He divided the children into Leah and unto Rachel. And he put uh, Rachel last. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost. And Leah and her children after. And Rachel and Joseph the very last. So now let's look at this. How this this fits the symbology. So remember, Jesus' ministry on earth was three and a half years. Right? 42 months. And during that time... Up until his crucifixion and resurrection, he he did not want to minister to Gentiles. He did occasionally when they came to him and begged him. But he told his disciples, go not into the way of the Samaritans. Don't go into it till you've gone first. That's right. Now, even when the Syrophoenician woman came to him and wanted her daughter healed, he said, I'm only sent to the household of Israel. Should I give the bread for the children to dogs? (laughs) What a testimony. Right? Sorry? Yes, he did. He did. He went there a couple times. So, But mostly his ministry was only to the Jews. It was not until the resurrection that he then said, go ye into all the world. 
starts starting at Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, he had fulfilled the first part with Leah. He had fulfilled the first part with Leah as promised. And Jesus said unto them, now the proof that he was at this stage already committed, the Bible calls him a bridegroom, or Jesus calls himself a bridegroom. So we can, we can establish that this first three and a half years was as if he had already um, signed the contract. Because this is what Jesus says. Can the children of the bride chamber, while the bridegroom is with them, can they, can they be sad? He was right during his three and a half years, he already called himself being the bridegroom. They cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Then they shall fast in those days. So we can, we can establish that he was in the role symbolically of bridegroom the whole three and a half years because he says so. And not only that, he was also with Rachel because he calls his disciples the church. So because when they married, they overlapped. The first seven days, he was only with Leah. But after the end of the seven days, when he had fulfilled the wedding feast, he got to marry Rachel. I'm going to slow down because I'm going too fast. So there was an overlap where he was married and with both of them up until the time they were going back to Canaan. Then he split them up. Do you see that? Then he split them up. This is in Matthew 18, 17. Jesus is calling his disciples even before the day of Pentecost. He's calling the, the body of believers. He's calling them the church. Matthew 18, 17. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. In the Greek, ecclesia means the body of believers. So he already was calling his group of disciples the church even before the day of Pentecost, even before the crucifixion. So we can see now that, as I said on Sunday, the start of the 70th week will be uh, when the covenant is confirmed or assigned. The rapture, the wheat harvest, is going to Father's house. Jesus with, the bridegroom, with his bridegroom, Rachel, consummating, entering, entering the bridal chamber for the second half, and then coming back. So now, when you add up the two, three and a half years, you will have seven years. He was three and a half years on earth with both of them, but then it split up. You see that? Going back, he split them up. And then he's only with Rachel for the three and a half years in heaven. Hope you follow that. I'll, I'll go over it again. And then they return for the marriage supper on earth in the new Jerusalem. Isn't that awesome? So let's look at this again, and we're, we're going to have to run out of time. The Feast of First Fruits, around AD 31, was Jesus' resurrection. And it's been 1,992 years thus far. It means we're coming to the close of the second day. The third day is about to start. Sometime when that is... And a future unknown day will be the start of this last seven years. And then Daniel's week, as it's called, the time of Jacob's trouble. Remember, this was all about Jacob and his two wives and how he had to split them up to save, because to, he thought they were all going to be destroyed, and he split them up. And then we have the first half of that is the three and a half years when we, we go up, and the last three and a half years was the woman who was kept on earth safe. Revelation 12, 14, the woman which 
were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she's nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. That means three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Remember what we said Sunday, the woman was Israel. In other words, Leah. They were split up. And then shall he speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. That's uh, Bible speak for three and a half years. I know I've rushed this through because I'm trying to give you a lot of stuff in a short time. Now, let's go a few other things here. So the second coming will be when he comes back and we have the harvest of the oil and the wine. Now, I want to tie this all together, and we see, as I said Sunday in Revelation, the four products mentioned, right? The wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine. We want to go a little bit deeper and maybe explain some of the reasons why it says it the way it does. Revelation 6, 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse... And he that sat on on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, what is the meaning of the three three and the one? Now, remember we, we had said that the barley represents who? That's right. And the wheat? Right. Let me read where that number three is mentioned again in Matthew thirteen thirty-three in one of the four parables that they didn't understand. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now that's strange. Like unto leaven? Because to the Jews that would have been, they'd be going like this. Leaven? But he has a point. He's trying to get over a point here. Which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. Till the whole was leavened. Okay? I'm going to try and bring that together. There's that three measures of the, the meal again that's referred to in Revelation, the, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley. Paul, in Romans, when he's speaking about Israel, he says, listen, you Gentiles, it's great that you're in, but remember, you're just the, what he calls us, the ingrafted. What will happen when the, when the, the true olive comes to their senses? Because of, of Israel is the oracles of God. Of Israel was Jesus. And he's saying that although for now blindness in part has happened to them, because of God's unconditional promise, there will be a remnant of Jews saved. Which means, if you remember what I said about the first fruits, the scripture said in, in Matthew, I think, 27 or 28, and it said many of them arose, not all of them. Which tells you that there is still some barley to come. And how many, how many harvest festivals are there? How many harvest festivals? Three. Now you get why there's three measures. Because in each, in each harvest, there's still going to be some barley. Three measures of barley. Only one measure of wheat. You following me? I know I'm going. All right, let's look at it. And another parable put spake he unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a, a woman took and hid in three measures of me. What he's saying is the Jews, the Bible, the story is like leaven in that it spreads. 
even though it started off a little bit, it has spread because of the Jews, because God chose them as the vessel through which he would come, through which salvation would come. That's what Paul says. He says salvation in Romans 11 and 12 is of the Jews. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not. But he was saying this to explain that just as how a little bit of um, corruption spreads, leaven will spread through a whole lump, and the Bible has spread. You think about the history, how they try to stamp out Christianity from the get-go, and nothing they can do. The more they persecute it, the more it grows. The more it grows. I'm almost finished. So leaven this time is representing how the gospel has spread. And when they persecute it, he says, when they, when they persecute in this city, go to the next one. Go speak some more. Go talk some more. So now we see the three harvests, and I'm going to try and explain the three measures. We know for sure the first harvest was the Jews, the barley. And we know the second harvest is the Gentiles. And we know the, the last one is the tribulation saints and the righteous dead, those who died before Christ. But in every single harvest, there's still going to be some barley. There, was, there are Jews who are Christians. There's going to be Jews, the remnant, who are at Jerusalem that are going to recognize that they're his Messiah. That's the three measures, each in every harvest. Amen. Isn't God awesome? If you could stand with me tonight. This is a temporary stand. We're going to sit back down. Amen. But we want to close for our online uh, streaming. Amen. I, I crammed a lot in there tonight. You need to go back and listen to this again and take your time and understand God has got this thing so planned out. Amen. He says not one yod, not one uh, tittle is going to pass till every single word is fulfilled. And we are right on the cusp. 1992 years since AD 31. So that doesn't leave a lot of time. Let's close this, this part of our service. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Let it inspire. Let it build faith. Let us grow, Lord God, in wisdom and knowledge, Lord Jesus, as we look up for your soon coming. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that we will be ready, that we will be dressed. Oh God, ready, hallelujah, to see and to hear as your voice shouts out our name. We thank you tonight for all your goodness and your grace. And we lift up your name and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering. Amen.